0: So it's midterm report card time, but it's not my grades I'm giving out to USC. I've got Spencer McLaughlin from Locked On Pac-12 to give him his grades on USC's performance at the halfway mark. That's what's coming up next on Locked On USC.
1: You are Locked On Trojans, your daily podcast on the USC Trojans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Fight on, everyone. I am your host, Mark Hulkin, and thank you for making Locked on USC your first listen every day, whether you're watching on YouTube or wherever you download your podcast. We are free, and if you are watching on YouTube, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. It means a lot, and if you already have, thank you so much. All right. Um, got a special guest here for you. We don't do this too often, so when we bring someone on, they are special. Uh, <laughs> Locked on Pac-12 host Spencer McLaughlin. Look, I give my grades out weekly on USC. I want to get an outside perspective on how USC uh, how they grade out so far through six games. They're six and zero. Oh. Um, that's a hundred percent on anybody's uh, grading chart. But we got to go a little bit deeper. So on this first segment, uh, I'm going to have Spencer give us grades on the offense. We'll go by position and position group uh, because at QB1, we've got one player to talk about this year. His name's Caleb Williams. Spencer, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, it's great to be on with you, Mark, and uh, always happy to talk anything across the Conference of Champions as long as USC is still in it.
0: Yeah, well, we'll be here for a while. So we'll, fo- yeah. we'll be here for a minute. A
1: lot longer, lot longer than people think. Including now, this one, three seasons.
0: That's true. Or no, two seasons. Two I more lied. seasons. Two yes. more. This one and next year. I and mean, then we're out of here. So you've had a chance to uh, watch USC from uh, from the couch. Um, I know you're a big Oregon Ducks fan, so they're having a good year as well. Maybe they'll see each other. Maybe they won't. But based on what you've seen so far, if I was to say, Spencer, give me the grades on USC's offense, and we're going to start – I'll, you can give me their overall grade at the end of this, but give me uh, the grade by position, and we'll start with Caleb Williams, Heisman contender. What do you got for him?
1: Yeah, I, I think he he still has room to grow. And coming into the year, I I did a show where we were talking about the the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 coming into the year, and I had him as as number one, Cam Rising number two, DTR number three, and that's been you know basically how things have have kind of looked. I think DTR has probably been a little better than Cam Rising at at this point, but that also has to do with team performance. But DTR has been really, really good. His completion percentage is some crazy high number, right? But the thing that I said about Caleb Williams, because I knew some other people who said, no, I'll I'll still take Cam Rising as the best quarterback in the Pac-12. I felt like what we saw from Cam Rising last year was very very impressive. But the reason I had Caleb Williams number 1 is I when I was anticipating him making a sophomore leap. And that's a really common thing in not just college sports, but professional sports as well because you've had an off season to work with your coaching staff, study the film, work with your guys, get better and you've had a full season to play where you adjust to the game speed because it's a lot different from what you have at the high school level. And so when I watched Cam rising year ago, I thought, okay, this is what he is a first team all pack 12 caliber quarterback, but this feels like he's a lot closer to his ceiling. And I thought coming into this year that Caleb Williams still had a lot of untapped potential. People remember the wins and the explosive plays he had at Oklahoma, but people forget the games where it looked a little bit like Oregon state. Like that has been something that, 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 that has plagued him from time to time. During his college career, I fully expect that even with a highly touted recruit like Caleb Williams. And what I've seen from him so far this year is and and you've touched on this a little, Mark, I thought you were completely spot on. when We were talking on locked on Pac-12. Sometimes it feels like he isn't always just taking what is there and he's always looking for that big play. Now, when he hits the big play, it's unbelievable. The way he throws on the move, the long touchdown, I believe it was the Mario Williams, where he just zipped it, whatever it was, 50, 60 yards down the field, outside the pocket on the run. Yeah, he had an open guy, but most quarterbacks in the Pac-12 can't make that throw. There there are only a couple that can, and Caleb Williams is among them. So when he makes those spectacular throws, when he hits Jordan Addison on that deep ball at, at Stanford, I mean, it looks like a first-round caliber quarterback. But the consistency... I think can still improve. And yeah. he, he's a, he's only played one and a half years of college football. If USC is going to hit their ceiling this year, if they're going to, you know, do what many thought was unlikely coming into this season and win the Pac-12 championship, which they're in a great position to do right now, they control their own destiny to do that sitting at six and O oh, he has to be the best version of himself because I think the offensive line has overall been solid. It's been what they've needed. But do I feel like you could, against a championship-caliber team in the Pac-12, rely on Travis Dye and that offensive line? And I like Travis Dye a lot. I think he gets way, way too much flack. I watched him for four years. The guy's a really good player. I could go on him that rant for 10 minutes. But do I feel like if Caleb Williams is not having his best day. If you're playing a UCLA, a Utah, an Oregon, or heck, maybe even a Washington in there, that USC could just run the ball at a highly effective level, dominate the clock, control the game that way. I don't feel that way based on what I've seen so far. I think their running game complements their passing game, and Lincoln Riley wants to have that. But bringing this back to Caleb Williams, overall, I'd give him an a minus. And I think a lot of people might go B plus, but I think the consistency is all that I need to see from him to get to that first team all pack 12 caliber level. Cause I think DTR has had it at least to this point in the season, because statistically he has been so, so good. But what you, what you look at with Williams is the potential. I think he's closer to it. I think he's playing more consistently, Then when you look at his box scores from a year ago at Oklahoma, but still there's a, there's a little bit of room to grow there, but the other underrated uh, quality, I don't think you can overlook here. Mark is his leadership. And I think his presence on that sideline is, is fantastic for a guy who transferred in mostly new players aside from Mario Williams. They all seem to be behind him. And I, I watch quarterback body language a lot. It's another reason I like DTR. That guy makes a big play. That dude cares. That that guy wants to win football games, and he's going to be ticked off if he loses. I think Williams has a presence about him, and with all these new transfers that USC is incorporating seamlessly, you can't overlook that component. That's why I give him an a minus so far.
0: No, I, that's a really good fair grade. I, I think I gave him a B plus in, in, on in my own grading system, um, only because I I probably have watched him a little bit closer, and I'm going to nitpick him a lot more than, than an outsider would. Um, but again, you touched on all the points that I, that, that I mentioned as well. So you're, you're spot on B plus a minus, you know, mocked Knicks. It's six in one hand, half a dozen, the other. Um, with, I think this, what's separating DTR and Cameron rising from Caleb Williams right now is the experience. Those guys have been around longer. They've yep. seen it. They they know how to react to certain situations better. Uh you, you started to touch on the running game. You mentioned Travis Dye. He is USC's running game right now. Uh, what would you give him as a uh as a grade? He and by the way, he is known as Sir around practice.
1: <laughs> sir Travis Dye. It's got a nice ring to it, yeah. doesn't it? Like he could like he could be British and go sit down with Ian McClellan and Patrick running. Stewart.
0: He was on the way to the practice field. And one of the secure, uh, guys from the security detail said, uh, excuse me, sir, is coming through. So, <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I love that.
0: Yeah, I've been impressed with Travis
1: Dye. And I'm not surprised at all that he's having this sort of success. Because, you know, you describing him as he is USC's running game right now. I'm an Oregon fan. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest because CJ Verdell went down a year ago. And you know what Oregon did offensively, partially because they didn't have a philosophy that allowed them to get the ball to their wide receivers and tight ends as much as they should have. They force fed Travis die. And I'd give Travis die an a so far because he's the same player. There's been no drop off. And he is the sort of guy who can be a number one running back. He can also be a complimentary running back. Yep. He was the number two to CJ Verdell for a while. And I always watched those two run and thought, man, I kind of feel like Travis Dye's got to have an average yards per carry. That's a little bit higher. And I believe he did, but the style that Mario Cristobal wanted to play when it came to running the football was, you know, be downhill, be a one cut or a no cut and, and just go and, and be physical. But, Travis die. I think the reason a lot of people will underestimate him is he doesn't look the part, right? right? The best running back I've seen in the PAC 12 this year. And I thought this coming in was Zach Charbonnet. You could make a case for Tavion Thomas, but Charbonnet is so good. He, 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 you don't tackle the guy. How many times does he just run through tackles and he just get pushed out of bounds? He's tremendous. But he looks when we watch on TV, TV is such a powerful thing in society. And when you look at Zach Charbonnet, you see how he can project to the next level and you see why he's good. But you look at Travis Dye and he looks like Mighty Mouse out there. He's itty bitty. And yet when you watch him run, he's not someone who you might think, well, he's just got to go outside the tackles. Right. He, he's just got to, you know, be outside. Like, no, you run him the, between the tackles. That's primarily what he did at Oregon. And you don't see the explosion or the, the it factor visually that you'd have with a Charbonnet or, or a Tavion Thomas. And then all of a sudden, he's got four or five more yards than you thought he was going to get on that play. That is what he's going to consistently do. I've watched every game he's ever played for four years. That is all he's ever done. Break more tackles than you think. Get more yards than you think. And is he the sort of guy who's going to have explosive speed for a 65-yard touchdown? Not really. He can do that. But his shiftiness, his balance running between the tackles and his ability to make a guy miss to pick up a few yards is really exceptional. And there were moments last year where he wasn't just Oregon's running game he was their passing game too because Anthony Brown refused to throw the ball downfield consistently and his favorite target was Travis die there were multiple games last year where he led Oregon in rushing and receiving I yeah. thought it was a great get for Lincoln Riley in the offseason because I said he's going to know exactly what to do with Travis die and that's all I've seen so far it's been a great mesh
0: yeah he's not big he's not fast he doesn't do anything really exceptionally well and but what he also doesn't do is he doesn't turn the ball over um, so uh, that's what you, even really though want.
1: he doesn't wear gloves, doesn't wear gloves. Right.
0: Right. right. I uh, think that's, so, a, I think that's another
1: thing too. Legitimately, he doesn't look the way other backs do with his size and he's out there not wearing gloves. I, I legitimately think that's why people say, oh, he's not that good. Like, really? Go look at the
0: stats. Is, he is the guy you want on the field and in your locker room and in your foxhole. He is just that dude. Um, moving along here. Uh, Cause we still got two more position groups to, to finish up with. Offensive line, uh, briefly, I'll just let you know that it's a veteran line. They are dealing with some injuries across the board. Taking that into context, um give their pass protection a quick grade and their run blocking a grade, and then we'll move on to the wide receiver's tight ends.
1: Yeah, I I think the run blocking from what I've seen so far has been stronger than the pass protection, at least consistently. Doesn't mean in spurts that that it hasn't been there. But uh I, I think I'll go because USC's offense has been successful, be in the run blocking and, and B minus. I I don't think it's at, at a C plus for, for the passing for the passing game, but when I watched USC's offense in the moments where they've had trouble this year, it's because Caleb Williams has had to, I don't think he's a guy that breaks the pocket or contain before he needs to, but he's been doing it pretty often this year because he's had to. And if USC had a quarterback with Caleb Williams arm talent, but had the mobility of a Tanner McKee or a Jack Plummer, or Owen McCown or pick your PAC 12 quarterback. Who's not mobile. It's not very many, honestly, but if they had someone like that, then I think Trojan fans would feel differently about how this offensive line holds up in pass protection. And I think that's one of their big keys against Utah. this week. You give Caleb Williams time. DTR showed you a week ago, Clark Phillips is really, really good, but the rest of the Utah defense is exploitable in, in in some areas in that secondary. And so, I I think their pass protection has, has left a little to be desired. I I don't know how much injuries have, have have played a part of that. I know that it's certainly been a component, but when I watch them play, I see Caleb Williams sometimes running to extend plays probably more often than he would like. And I know that that's not what Lincoln Riley is, is hoping the offense can do. And I think if they keep him in the pocket, he will stand there and make throws. But if you force him out of the pocket, he's got the mobility to move.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, you. I think you hit the nail on the head with the O line um, both ways. There. All right. Uh, real quick before uh, we we break off into the next to the, on the other side of the ball, wide receivers, tight ends. Um, USC doesn't hasn't really used their tight ends a lot. They've used them in spots. Malcolm X has a you know a few touchdowns. Um, they're 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 typically used to help with the blocking scheme. And that's why they've been really good in the run game. What would you rate the the receiver tight end group as a whole, uh, as far as production so far?
1: I I don't fault the tight ends necessarily, because I think when you have receivers who are at, I'm going to say an A minus level for, for the entire unit, uh, the way that USC has had this season, I don't fault Lincoln Riley for for using them almost excessively, right, or being the feature of, of the offense and then countering with Travis Dive like, hey, look over here. Here's a tunnel screen. Yes, yeah, psych, we're running that way with Travis Dive and suddenly he's running in into your secondary. So when you've got Jordan Addison, Mario Williams as the top two guys, and that's far from the only talented pair of receivers you have in that room. I don't fault Lincoln Riley for using them a lot. However, the reason I won't put this group at an A-plus where some people think it might be is Lincoln Riley has used the tight ends a lot in the past. That was a heavy feature of the Oklahoma offense. And I think what he's seeing is the tight ends can do some things here and there, but they're not up here to where he feels like they need to be or should be an integral part of the passing game before they really get down into the red zone, right? I don't think he feels he has the sort of exploitable matchups at that position group. And maybe he won't, you know, use them as much as he did at Oklahoma, but he had Stogner, he had Mark Andrews, he had Calcaterra. Like, they were not just guys who were using the red zone. They they were getting chunk plays as Oklahoma would move the ball down the field. And so I think he he just sees some limitations there and and says, look, these are my best players. They're on the perimeter, so I'm going to go get them the ball. And he's done that with with a high level of of success so far. And I I don't expect that to change. You know, If he finds a tight end recruit he likes, then I'd expect him to be more incorporated into the offense than what Trojan fans have seen so far this year. But maybe he looks at this group of receivers headlined by a couple transfers and says, yeah, maybe I can just make do in this particular conference conference with receivers because the, the PAC 12s corners are not as good as what he saw in the big 12, though that conference wasn't exactly known for defense. So, (laughs) you know, I, I, I wonder what, what exactly that, that all looks like, but if he felt like the tight ends were big time weapons and just huge mismatches, he would go to them and get them more involved, but that hasn't been the case I think because of just how he feels about that position group. And so they, they've been a little bit more blocking heavy so far.
0: Yeah, it, it, they have. And um, what was your grade for the wide receiver group again?
1: A minus a- overall.
0: I, I think you're a little, a little gratuitous there. Um, I'm not going to argue too heavily with it. Only reason being is, um, you know, you brought, you mentioned Mario Williams. You mentioned um, Addison Jordan Addison. Thank you. But you still have players like Brendan Rice. You've got Taj yeah. Washington, uh, Kyle Ford. They, you, The offense hasn't been as, product- as productive as it should be. And part of that is because I think of the chemistry between Caleb Williams and the wide receiver group. They brought in a lot of guys through the portal. So I think you're going to see, uh, hopefully you're going to see better chemistry between those two groups uh, in the second half of the season here. You're going to have to bet on it because uh, betonline.net is your number one source for all of your football betting info this season. You can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, with live betting up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there the fastest and easiest way to check on all of your favorite games and events including Major League Baseball which by the way uh Dodgers lost and that sucked uh sure I know you're your Mariners My are
1: beloved Mariners playoffs. lost game one, but game They're two is coming
0: playoffs That's all that matters.
1: We're, yeah. We're in the playoffs. We're just, we're just trying to accept and be happy with that. But also it's the Astros. And I would really like to beat the
0: Astros. Yeah. And if you want to
1: bet that you of course go to bet online.
0: You do. You have to head on over to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more bet online, where the game starts. All right. So we are going to jump to the other side of the ball and jump right into the defense. Real quick before we break down the positions, what would you give the just letter grade? I don't need a whole lot of breakdown. Overall letter grade for the offense.
1: Overall letter grade for 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 USc's offense this year that there's a now lot of things to factor in grades. i I think I think you have to go in in the b plus range. Okay. I, I I think that's an appropriate grade because if you're going to go a plus, that's like, they've been perfect every week. Right. And no, basically nobody attains that. Right. So then an a is, yeah, you've been, you've been close to perfect every week and USC and, and you've pointed this out as well, Mark, they haven't played four quarters of offense yet, but as you also point out, they're working in a lot of new players and that does take time. Yes. Like the chemistry between Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison now is better than it was in week one. And I bet you a month from now, it'll be even better. And, and, and so on and so on, assuming everybody uh is able to stay healthy. So right. I, I think the offense is at a B plus because it's been the primary driving force, but I think the defense has done more certainly than, than I was expecting this year to this point in the season. I right. think they get a big test on Saturday against Utah. I think because Utah does well what USC's defense is worst at, and that's running the football versus stopping the run. That is, I think the the most compelling reason it's such a major test is so far the defense, which I assume we were about to get to anyway. We're doing it right now, yeah, right. It is it, they have been so good against the pass this year, but they've been opportunistic. right? Which is a very good thing. I don't want that to be a negative word that everyone harps on me for. It's a very good thing to be opportunistic, but what I'm still waiting to see, and I think they showed it much more in this game against Washington state is, can they be a more complete, well-rounded defense? Can they be a more boring defense? I don't know if you're a big golfer, Mark. I'm a huge, huge golfer. I, play, I played earlier today as we're re- recording this show. One thing that I have found is sometimes my best rounds are not ones that are littered with birdies on the scorecard. Those always help, but oftentimes my best rounds come when I can just go out and make a bunch of boring two-putt pars. I want to see this USC defense, as they try to make the next step forward, be able to put up more games, frankly, like they did against Washington State where they're metaphorically having boring two-putt pars. Everybody likes the birdies to put a circle on the scorecard. Everybody likes the interceptions and the turnovers, and you still need to have those. But I want to see for USC's defense to take that next step, be in in a place where they can just force some three and outs, just force some punts. Yeah, it's boring. It's not exciting, but you know what it is? It's effective. And in great defenses are not just reliant on the turnovers. And, and the other thing that that I question for USC going in this game against Utah is the Utes typically are a very disciplined, well-coached football team. And is USC going to be able to force two or three turnovers the way UCLA did a week ago in Salt Lake City? I think that's that's a legitimate question there. But the defense has certainly undergone a one-year turnaround. But I just wonder how long they can keep forcing many turnovers a game. But the Washington State game certainly stepped in the right direction.
0: So, okay, as far as uh, my golf game, I'm Bill Murray from Caddyshack, and we'll just leave it <laughs> there. Um, yeah, you want me carrying the, the carrying the bags? You don't want me swinging the stick. <laughs> um, let's start with the defensive line. You've got the maybe. He's, he's making a play as one of the best defensive linemen in the country. Forget the Pac-12 in Tule, Tule Um Last week, he had three sacks in the game against Cameron Ward and the Washington State. Nick Figueroa added two more. So they had literally put him in the dirt five times. USC leads the country with 29 sacks. That is number one. They are number one in takeaways. Uh, they have a plus 14. Sticking with the defensive line, you you've given some context. You saw what they did last week, and everyone thought, you know what? These guys didn't have enough depth. They aren't. They weren't going to be very good. You talk about how they are susceptible against the run. Nevertheless, they're pitching shutouts in the second half. So, it's with Alex Grinch. It's not always about the the Jimmys and the Joes as much as it's about the X's and O's and the effort. Give me a grade for the defensive line.
1: I'll give the defensive line a B, which for most people is going to seem low. I am thinking that that grade is going to look a little better after this Utah game because what USC, in my view, has benefited from so far has been playing with the lead and playing teams, aside from Oregon State, who are not prolific at running the football Stanford has historically Stanford also gashed USC a lot. They just couldn't execute in the red zone. Trojans defense were making a lot of chaos plays in that game. Stanford also is a god awful football team. They are yeah. really, really not good. But the Stanford offensive line was able to open up some holes for EJ Smith, who unfortunately got hurt, and Casey Philkins against this USC front seven. I think they've improved since that game. But I also can't forget that it happened because that Stanford offensive line is not that's not your your older brothers, shall we say, cardinal team. They, they are not sending guys to the NFL. They are not physical and whatnot. And so it still concerns me that that team was able to, to push them around a little bit. Now, the flip side of that coin is how USC performed against Oregon State, because in theory, that matchup is similar to what Utah brings to the table this Saturday, a pro style offense, a lot of under center, a good offensive line. And I think that was USC's best defensive showing of the year by far. And I'll tell you why in just a moment, but Oregon state wanted to go into that game, be able to run the football and USC's defense was able to make plays. And that was what a 17 to, to 14 final. And that game was in Corvallis and what you see in college football week in and week out teams are better and worse at home versus on the road. Betting markets always reflect that. There's a reason. Look at Washington, for instance. Four games at home look like a really good team. Two games on the road look like not so good team. I think they get a bounce back this week against Arizona at home, but that is uh, a point that could lead me to digress. So I think that that performance for USC against Oregon State was their most impressive outing of the year, even more so against Washington State because it was on the road. I know Reeser Stadium doesn't have max capacity, but those fans were, you know, wow. the old, yes, the old war adage, you know, make one man feel like 100. One man felt like 100 in that stadium for Oregon State. And the Beavers' offensive line is good. That is a good offensive line. And USC was able to push them around and keep the Oregon State offense off the board and force four turnovers from Chance Nolan, including the game clincher. That, to me, has been their best showing of the year. And we'll see if they bring that to Salt Lake City. If they play that way, yeah, they're going to win on Saturday. But I think Utah is a much better version of Oregon State. I think Oregon State is kind of utah light, And now you go into Salt Lake City, you've got a stronger crowd, you've got a better team, you've got a more experienced coach and just a better all-around football team. So I, I still question it, but I, I this grade – is the one that could move the most, in my view, after this week, Mark. If Utah runs for 100 yards on three yards of carry, i will say, okay, yeah, that front seven is now able to stop the run against a team that can run the football, and UCLA will be the ultimate, ultimate test of it. But right now, as good as they've been against the past, I think the game flow has allowed them to be in those situations more often, other than Oregon State, and that they haven't yet had to go up against a team that is going to be able or that is capable of running the ball on them for four quarters. And I think that's the challenge that Utah presents.
0: Got it. Okay. We're going uh, up tempo here. Yeah. Linebackers. Give me your grade and real nuance. They're, they're not big on the run, but they are, they really affect the passing game. And because they've got some six foot six dude standing in the middle there that just affects everything.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go B minus here because when you're when you're not strong against the run, it does reflect poorly on your linebackers sure. teams that are good at stopping the run have great linebacker play. The number one team in, in terms of rush yards allowed per game this year is Oregon. When healthy, their two linebackers are Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, and those are two Sunday caliber guys. That's not a coincidence. Your front four. Play is a factor, like no no question about it. But no great run defense ever had middling linebacker play. But I agree with you, Mark, from what I've seen, they play well against the pass. And that also is not something you see from linebackers very often. So they deserve some credit in that sense. And then leaping forward to the secondary, I don't know how you can give them a grade that's not an A so far. They're hitting guys. They forced a couple fumbles. They're making turnovers. They're good in coverage. I, I haven't seen, maybe I've missed it. I haven't seen a blown coverage for them this year where they just allow some. Was there was
0: there one? I'm glad you brought that up because it happened in this last game, but it happened with a backup. And Kalen, Calen hmm. Bullock got ejected for a targeting call. I hate um, that rule. Yeah, me too. I hate so, the
1: ejecting. I'm fine with targeting. Stop ejecting kids. It's right. I agree.
0: The, the the first play right after that, they went over the top on his replacement. And USC's uh safety tried to tackle the guy to, to you know create the penalty. He just didn't tackle the guy, so they caught the ball and you know ball ended up there at the three or four yards. Was, was
1: that the miraculous throw from Cam Ward where he had like yeah. an hour to yeah. throw and then he heaved it down? The, okay, yeah. even that one was an incredible catch from the receiver. Like yeah. That's we, we, not we even to me. Over them. Yeah, that's not even to me a, a completely busted coverage. It's a play that should not be allowed for sure. But the point that it was a backup just exemplifies what I'm saying even more, which is they're playing fast. They are they look like they're playing with so much confidence when I watch them. You know, sure. like they, they are not afraid to come up and play press man because Makai Blackman and the other guys back there just knowing like, yeah, we're going to be able to make some plays. And they trust that their front four can get pressure, and that helps them as well.
0: And that's what's happening. They're getting pressure with just rushing four guys.
1: That's yeah, that's huge. That's and- huge. Great, de- great defenses can do that too. Georgia a year oh, ago, they could bring we- Trey. They could bring uh, Trayvon Walker right off the edge. Nicobe Dean blitz him as a fourth. Whatever. The best defense. I'm a Seahawks fan. Legion of Boom defenses. They just ran cover three, and they just said Michael Bennett. Chris Clemens, Cliff Averill, whoever, just go get the quarterback, and they're able to create pressure for. Opens up a lot of avenues for Alex Grinch when he can do that.
0: It's created twelve interceptions. That's all you need to know.
1: <laughs> I think, I think that as as my brother would say when he hits a good golf shot, he says that'll do, donkey. That'll do.
0: There you go. <laughs> okay, before we get out of here, we got we we got a couple minutes to go. Um, we're in overtime here. Yeah. So, Assuming USC leaves Salt Lake City 7-0, their schedule sets up really nicely. They got a bye week, then they head to Tucson, then they're home for two games against Cal and Colorado, respectively, and then it sets up their final two games of the year, rivalry games, at UCLA, which is like a five-minute bus ride for USC, and Notre Dame at home inside the Coliseum. With that said, USC is 7-0. Assuming that, what's their final record?
1: Well, just so any USC fan that's been enjoying me today, I'm glad you have because I'm about to make you want to block me off this channel forever. I think Utah is going to win on a Saturday. I've got them 34 27 in Salt Lake City, but let's say I am wrong and they're 7 0. 12 0 is within reach. I still think that that's asking a lot. I'm very high on UCLA. I have been. Before, since before the season started, and they have rewarded my faith to this point because they look like a good and complete football team in right. more ways than one. They hired a new defensive coordinator. He's been doing a lot of really good things. Bill McGovern comes down from the NFL, and their defense isn't amazing, but it's certainly vastly improved from what it has been the last couple of years, which was, you know, pretty much a, a, a joke for for multiple reasons that I could go on a ten minute rant on, but. If USC walks away 7-0, and I don't think just because of their record they could get to 12-0, and but because of the confidence they'd have to have. If you in this league can go on the road and beat Utah, which not a lot of teams have done, you get a jolt of confidence like the guys in Major League Baseball who used steroids back in the day. It juices you up. If you can do that, it's a tall order. The The Trojans are underdogs for a reason, because Utah is a really, really good home football team. But coming into this year, I had USC at nine and three. I thought they would lose to Oregon State. They very nearly did. Instead, they escaped. I thought they would also lose to UCLA. And I thought they lose to Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not a good football team. So that's going to be a win. So now the only other losable games on your schedule are this weekend. And UCLA because Cal and Colorado, they're not presenting a threat. It's and, and Arizona as well. Arizona can score a little, but USC will go down in the desert, probably put up half a century. So it it it's it's fascinating to watch how this all plays out. And if Lincoln Riley goes 12 and oh in the first year that he's there, lifetime contract might be in order. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it, look, for me, it's it's this simple. The high water mark for this team this year would have been ten and two, and that's with the assumption that one of those two losses happens at Utah. So that's why I'm, I'm saying they're seven and zero now. You've removed one guaranteed loss on the season.
1: Yep. If they if they take that out, then the opportunity for twelve the opportunity changes it, all. The it, it's it's right there. It is yeah. right right there. But double digits, yeah. double digit wins is an expectation. I think at this point, even if they lose to Utah, right. Between Absolutely. UCLA and Notre Dame, Absolutely. you should only lose one of those games at most, and you're not going to lose any of the other
0: three. Absolutely. Spencer from Locked On Pac-12, I want to thank you for doing the show so much. You're welcome. Uh, came through big time. We went a little long, but that's okay. I think we, uh, we, we we put out some good information there. People stay tuned in. So when you're not watching Locked On USC, head on over to Locked On Pac-12. Give Spencer a shot. He'll, uh, he will he will be fair you might not like the answers you always hear but he is fair so i try to be yeah you have to be thanks again for coming on we'll have you on again and for everyone else unlocked on, on usc you know what to do